Micah, the book of Micah, chapter 4 this morning. Micah, chapter 4. We're looking at God's promises to Israel uh, in his covenants. And this one in the book of Micah speaks about God's reign of peace from Jerusalem. God's reign of peace from Jerusalem in the future. Now, this passage in Micah chapter 4 is mirrored by Isaiah chapter 2. So if you think that, hold on, doesn't Isaiah say something like this? It's because he does. Okay, yes. They're both 8th century prophets. They're both kind of, they're contemporaries of each other. Micah probably a little bit before that. And... um, I think probably Micah wrote his first and Isaiah used uh, what Micah had written because uh, it was material that he could use for what he wanted to say. But the fact that it's in the word of God twice, I think, is, is important because it drives home to us the fact that uh, a reign of peace emanating from... Jerusalem and the nation of Israel is to come in this world. If you want to know whether uh, the one world government that everybody wants, well, all of the world leaders want, we don't want it. Uh, that's the that's kind of the, the humanistic view of one world government. If you want to know where the, one, the real one world government is going to be, it's going to be in Jerusalem. Okay, Jerusalem. That's where Jesus is going to reign. Now, uh, as I read the passage down to verse 7, I should say, you, you notice that I put verse numbers down here next to the points. Um, I don't know why, what I was thinking, okay, but there's not an exact correspondence. For example, <laughs> for example, Where it says in point two, the word of God, that should be verses two and three. And then point three, the peace of God, that should be verses three and four. So I'm sorry, that's my bad. I wasn't paying attention. Um, I hope it doesn't disrupt things too much. All right, let me uh, read the passage out. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up nation or lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. 
For all people walk each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame, I will gather the outcast, and those whom I have afflicted, I will make the lame a remnant and the outcast a strong nation. So the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on, even forever. So it's a beautiful passage, and uh, it speaks, obviously, to a time that uh, Israel has never really understood. They've never experienced this. But this is a covenant promise from God, or rather a promise from God based on his covenants, based on his covenants to his people Israel. Uh, Israel has a special relationship to God. And that relationship is one of grace. It's not that God does not uh, care about the other nations. As we will see in this passage, nations are also drawn to God through uh, God's reign from Jerusalem. But Israel particularly has that special place in the plan of God. Now, so does the church, okay? So does the church. But the church and Israel are not the same thing, okay? Israel is a nation of uh, particular people, the Jews, uh, who were given land promises and uh, special promises that pertain to them as a nation. The church is not a nation, The church is made up of peoples from different nations, yes? From different nations. Uh, So there are at least two peoples of God. When we get to uh, the kingdom of God, you will see at least two peoples of God. You say, well, that doesn't, that, I, I have difficulty with that one. You know, why isn't there just one people of God? Um, And my answer to that is, look up around you and see what God does. God likes variety, okay? God is not monochromatic at all. God likes, uh, you know, all kinds of trees, all kinds of flowers, all kinds of different animals, all kinds of different people, okay? He's into that. So it shouldn't surprise us that... In eternity, there are, uh, there's a plurality of peoples. In fact, I believe, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I'll just put it out there and we'll consider it further on. I believe that there are not just two peoples of God, there are three peoples of God. Okay? There are Israel, there's the church, and then there's the nations who will be be gathered in uh, the millennium and who also, of course, were saved before uh, the nation of Israel was called into being. So you have three peoples of God. Now, three peoples of God should not, again, surprise us because uh, God made man in his image. And God is triune, Okay, three in one. 
And God also works in triads. I don't know if you've mentioned, you've seen this. We'll look at this further on. But he works in triads, which are threes in ones, okay? And therefore, it would be surprising, I think, that if, that humanity would not mirror the triune God in some way in, uh, the world to come as a three in one, a triad. But more of that later on, not in, uh, not in this sermon. What Micah shows us here is a time when people will be able to rest. A time when the Lord reigns from Zion, but Zion has been transformed. Zion is not the small mountain which, uh, you know, is one of the mountains of Jerusalem. Zion becomes a major mountain in the world. It says in verse 1, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. This doesn't necessarily mean in this context that it's going to be the highest mountain in the world, just that it's going to be the most prominent mountain in that area. And Mount Zion right now is not the most prominent mountain, not by a long shot. But there will be a transformation in the topography of this world when Jesus returns. We're going to see that when we get to Zechariah. There will be a transformation in the way this world looks. It will be transformed into, it's a beautiful world now, but into the kind of world that uh, Christ wants to govern, both physically and spiritually. He will subdue both the, the geography of the world and the hearts of men and the hearts of beasts. So the mountain will be, Mount Zion will be exalted. That's one massive change that we're going to see. On top of that mountain is going to be what? Look at verse 1. What's going to be on top of it? The Lord's house. That's not a church building. That is the temple. That's the temple. In the, uh, in the Israel to come, a temple will be built on top of Mount Zion. That temple, by the way, is described in detail in the book of Ezekiel from verses 40 through verse 40, uh, sorry, chapters 40 through 48. And, um, you know, if you're having difficulty getting to sleep anytime, just try and read those chapters, okay? Especially the first uh, three cha- of those chapters. They're, they're not the most stimulating chapters in the world as far as uh, riveting reading, but they're essential reading because they tell us what temple is going to be built in the future. So you imagine it then. You go to Jerusalem and you see this massive mountain there and on top is the temple of God. And in that temple, according to Ezekiel 43, 
is where the glory of God will reside. And it says, peoples shall flow to it. So, Israel is going to be the the main nation. Jerusalem is going to be the main capital city. And then the, the most important part of that city will be the temple of God. Just like, I suppose, uh, if you go to uh, Washington, D.C., you know, the capital of the USA, the most important building would be the White House, I suppose, yes? Um, here, the most important building will be the temple of God. So instead of uh, a secular kind of building with full of can I say it? Corrupt politicians. We have a spiritual house, a religious house, in whom is the king, the governor of the world, God himself, in the person of Jesus Christ. That in itself, I hope you see, is a massive transformation of this world. That ensures that everything that uh, is going to follow in this description will come to pass. When Jesus, the Prince of Peace, comes to reign with a rod of iron from Jerusalem upon this earth, you're going to see some massive changes. And every one of them will be for good. This description in Micah chapter 4 obviously comes at the beginning or describes the beginning of Christ's reign. And we know that because of the descriptions that we read uh, of the changes that will be brought about, particularly in verses 3 and 4. But we'll get to that in just a minute. So we have, first of all, then the house of God in Jerusalem. Secondly... We read about the word of God, the word of God that goes forth from Jerusalem. We read about that in uh, verse 2 and verse 3. Many nations shall come and say, they'll speak to each other, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. For out of Zion the law shall go forth and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. There won't be any need for fallible and weak preachers like me to try their best to proclaim the word of God to congregations. The nations of the world will want to come on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem where Jesus is reigning because they want to hear from Jesus his words. And I omitted something when I was reading that. Not only do they want to hear the words, but they say, we shall walk in his paths. They want to do his words. 
There will be a change, you see, in the hearts of men and women. A change that corresponds with the change in the physical world. The word of God will come from God directly to the people. But he'll have some work cut out for him. He'll have some work to do at the beginning. Verse 3 says, he shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. A word of rebuke will come from the Lord when he returns. Psalm 2 says he, he rules with a rod of iron, and this is part of that description. He has to, as it were, rebuke those nations that get proud or those nations that feel self-sufficient or that have not really got in line with what Jesus wants to do. You see, at the beginning of the kingdom, don't, don't misunderstand. It's not going to be us floating around on clouds, and it's not going to be, uh, you know, perfect at the beginning. Jesus will impose a reign of peace upon the earth. I'm not exactly sure how this will come about, and it's all kind of guesswork as to how this comes together, but we do know that even though we go into that kingdom as glorified people, then tribulation saints go into that kingdom only if they pass through the judgment of the sheep and goats as recorded in uh, Matthew 25, at some stage there will be rebellion welling up within people in the kingdom of God and Jesus will have to rebuke that. And that rebuke will work. It won't be ignored. It won't be, oh yeah, we'll take that one on board and you know we'll just do what we want. No, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This is because the word of God is going out from Jerusalem to change attitudes, to change outlooks, to create what the United Nations could never create, which is a true brotherhood of man. If you want world peace, you have to wait for the Prince of Peace. That's the only way it's going to be brought about. But it will be brought about. Because when Jesus comes the second time, He doesn't just come as a lowly Galilean. He doesn't come to die for our sins. That's been done. Now he comes as the Lord, the one who was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, the one whom Moses and Elijah spoke to, the one whom uh, God spoke about to the disciples. This is my son. Hear him. He comes to rule for God the Father upon earth. And his judgment and his justice go out to all of the nations. But there will be nations. Did you notice that? It's not just one big, like, world nation. There will be nations in the kingdom of God. 
and these nations will not war against one another. This all comes and emanates from Israel. In Isaiah chapter 44 and Isaiah chapter 45, it speaks about the people of Israel being witnesses to the nations on behalf of God. They will fulfill their God-given purpose. So we have the house of God, we have the word of God going from Jerusalem, and now we have a description of the peace of God. We've already looked at the fact that uh, they're going to beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. In other words, there'll be no more need for a military. But now it speaks about the shalom that will be experienced by people. Look at verse 4. Everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. You say, well, does that mean I get my own vine and get my own fig tree to sit under? Obviously, this is a pastoral scene that's being described here. It doesn't necessarily mean that you'll, uh, you'll have to sit under a fig tree. But the idea is that you will have your own place. And that place will not be violated. That place will not be threatened. That place will be a place of repose, a place of peace, a place of safety. And of course, every other place that you go to from your home in the new earth That will be a place of safety too. That will be a place of welcome. That will be a place of peace. So can you imagine this? The world suffused with the knowledge of God. Isaiah chapter 11 that we'll look at, uh, Lord willing, next week, speaks about that the knowledge of the Lord will... Uh, will pervade the earth as the waters cover the sea. That certainly is not a description of today, is it? Where we, we suppress the knowledge of God. We hold it down. We don't want it. In the world to come, you won't be able to stop people from knowing God. They will all know him. And that knowledge will change hearts, change minds, lead people to wisdom, lead people to the right choices. They'll still have their free will, but they will be led not by the voices of the devil and the voices of the world and the voices of the flesh, but by the voice of their creator who is with them on the new earth. The peace of God. If I could, you know... If I could find a a magic lamp and rub it and genie pops out and he says, well, you have three wishes, I think my first wish would be peace. I want peace. I mean, I want to feel peace, at peace. I want to live in a world where there is peace, where we belong and we know that we belong and we're not looking around to see if anyone's going to violate 
or disrupt our um, our rest and our repose and our contemplation and our plans. Well, I don't need a genie because I've got the Lord. I've got the Lord and he's going to come and he's going to bring that peace to me and he'll bring that peace to you. In this world, Jesus says, you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer, he says, I have overcome the world. And you're going to see that. The world system, all of its wickedness, all of its selfishness, all of its boasting and its, its uh, corruption, it's, he's overcome that. And that will not find a place in his world. And so the peace of God is promised in the future. Are you looking forward to a time of peace, a time of rest, a time? The word shalom, it means more than just uh, being at peace. It means that you, um, without getting new agey on you here, it means that you feel completely uh, at home in your surroundings. You belong there to the depths of your soul. Everything is ordered. Everything is, uh, is in its right place. And it's not going to be overturned. It's not going to be a temporary thing. Because for us, for me, for you, those little Snippets of peace that we uh, inhabit sometimes in our lives, you know, where we can take a deep breath and we can just relax. And nothing's fighting for attention in our minds or in our hearts. Those are few and far between, aren't they? There's always something racing into our minds or racing into our hearts or something to disrupt things. You know, even when you go out there and you sit out there and you're trying to, listen, uh, trying to listen to the birds and you're watching the sunset, there's always this little bzzz, you know, that's, that, that comes and disrupts things. There's always a, a, when you go out for a picnic, there's always what? Yellow jackets to ruin your picnic. There's always something in this world, yes? Not in the world to come. In the world to come, there will be shalom. There will be peace. And then verses 5 through 7 of this description speak about the reign of God. This is, of course, the reign of God through Jesus Christ, who comes as the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Verse 5 says, All people walk each in the name of his God. We will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Now, this does not, not mean that there will be idolatry and false gods in the kingdom of God that's to come. It just means that Israel, in Micah's time, was surrounded by false gods. And so this idolatry, which couldn't, you couldn't get away from, even people in Israel in Micah's time were, were involved in idolatry, um, 
that was the thing that, that, that kind of made it so hard to imagine there would be a time where everybody served the true God, where everybody knew who God was, instead of serving these false and puerile gods. So Micah is saying here that people, you know, they go after their own gods, as they do in our contemporary world. They go after the god of ambition, the god of wealth, the god of success, the god of glamour, the god of... Uh, of uh, attention, the God of fame, whatever, you know, make your own list. These are all idols. That's what pervades our world and that's what gets in the way of, of us you know, having and experiencing peace. But... He says, we will, in the future, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. No more false religion. No more false hope. In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble all of the downcast, all of the people that that were on the periphery. I will assemble the lame. I will gather the outcast and those that are afflicted. And I will make the lame a remnant and the outcast a strong nation. Those who were on the outskirts of society, those who were weak, those people that um, were often forgotten, God doesn't forget them. In fact, it wasn't it Jesus who reminded us again and again and again, we need to take this uh, to heart, that the last will be first and the first will be last. The upside-down kingdom. We need to take that seriously, folks. We need to understand that many people who uh, you never think about and I never think about, those people who have gone through their lives completely anonymous, don't seem to have accomplished very much for one reason or another, maybe because uh, they were afflicted by something, maybe because of some kind of um, ailment or disease or uh, handicap that they had. If they were trusting in the Lord, those people would be exalted. Sometimes in my pride and my arrogance, you know, this is, this is, this is not the Holy Spirit doing this. I'm just, I'm confessing to you here. Sometimes I might think, well, I did that and I did that and I did that and I did. And it's like trying to figure out a kind of reward. I know that I'll get a reward from God in heaven, but it won't be because I'm that all that and I did all that. It'll be just simply because of the grace of God. But I tell you, people who will get a reward and a greater reward, and that's those people who were the unfortunates in this life, who were bypassed by everybody, who were thought to be underachievers, 
for whatever reason, the people on the out, uh, the outskirts of society, those people who trusted in the Lord, they will be made a strong nation. They will be blessed by God. It's going to be an upside down world, I tell you. There are things that, and, and people there, we might expect, oh, this person, this Christian celebrity or this uh, evangelist or this scholar or whatever, oh, they will be so exalted in the kingdom of God. And we may well find that in accordance with Jesus' words, the people who are exalted there are people we've never heard of, but God had heard of them. God noticed them. And the people perhaps who were exalted in this life, and we thought, oh, what a great person of God, they will be kind of much lower down the ladder. I think that's much closer to uh, the truth. God wants us to look out for these people because he will. So the Lord, verse 7, will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on, even forever. And his reign, his reign will be one of truth and his reign will be one of justice, as we'll see next week. His reign will be true equity, that word that's banded around nowadays that doesn't mean anything. There will be true equity in God's kingdom. There'll be fairness. There'll be justice. There'll be care. There'll be provision. These are all things that are guaranteed by the covenant God, and they will all spring out of Jerusalem. The Lord will reign. God has made these promises. They're made in the first instance to Israel, but as I said, it says here in verse 3, many peoples, nations, will be involved too, as the church. We'll be there in that kingdom. We will experience this peace. We go into this realm glorified, because of our connection with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we've got it made. A kingdom of peace, a glorified body, a king who cannot sin, cannot fail, who will always do that which is right, a kingdom of love, a kingdom of peace. How very unlike this world. And that's what I want to leave you with. How very unlike this world it's going to be. It will be this world, but this world transformed by the Lord. The Lord who died in it. The Lord who will reign in it. The Lord who will transform it for us. Let's pray. And so, Heavenly Father, Lord, we look forward to this time. We anticipate 
your promises coming through because you've sworn oaths to do these things. And we know that when you come back in the person of your son, it will not be, Lord, with the outer plan, without a detailed agenda to put everything to rights, to make this world into the kind of world where human beings don't fight each other, don't um, follow after false gods, but where we all know the Lord and we can we can be anywhere in this world and be safe and be at peace. This is what we long for, Lord. This is what we know we'll never experience in this life, but we will experience it. We thank you, Father, and pray even so. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.